Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset. And today I'm going to be chatting with a guy that I've had an on again, off again Instagram relationship with talking about biohacking, eyesight and vision for, for a while. Now I'm going to be talking with Victor Misud. How are you doing today, bro? I'm doing great. I'm doing well, just uh, getting my morning started. Got some water, got some coffee, ready to go. And if I'm correct, you start your mornings looking at the sunrise over the Gulf of Mexico. Is that right? Yeah. So right now I'm uh, I'm I'm in Mexico. I'm in uh, Playa del Carmen, uh, and also I was in Miami for a bit as well. So I try to get to places where I can have easy access to to morning light, morning sunrise. And uh, that's usually what I do first thing in the morning and get outside, get barefoot and uh, try to get exposed to some morning light for those uh, red infrared light frequencies, which are highly beneficial for everything, including eyesight. Okay, I do a bit of the same thing and we'll talk about that later. But to tell people just a little bit more about you, you, uh, Victor is a uh, citizen scientist. He's a motivational speaker, a documentary filmmaker, and a DJ. And he goes by the moniker around the internet of the blind biohacker. But I'm telling you, Victor, I think, I think, you, I think you may one day have to leave that particular moniker behind because as far as i can tell what it would the way it would seem looking into your story it would seem that you are making pretty good progress on uh beating this um diagnosis of retinitis pigmentosa it seems like you're it seems like you're really bringing the fight to this particular diagnosis over the past uh I don't know, uh, 15, 20 years of your life? Yeah, I, I'd say so. I, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa at about nine years old. And for people who don't know, RP is a, a group of inherited retinal uh, diseases that uh, can manifest in different ways. For me, it manifested in tunnel vision and night blindness. So like I said, I was diagnosed at nine and Things started to worsen when I was about 21. Uh, before that, I was actually able to drive. And I think uh, due to some like other circumstances, things started to progress. And yeah, about 10 years of just trying to figure out things, I started to read about you know, healing, neuroplasticity, uh, psychedelic therapy, alternative therapies. You know, uh, it just seemed odd to me that... Uh, like the body is quite intelligent. You know, if you put a cast, if you break your arm, you put a cast on, you know, the body tends to like heal itself. But I found everything centered around the eyesight was always like, oh, you're just going to have that for the rest of your life. And, you know, you're, you're, that's the way it is. So, you know, I started to dig into the work of uh, Dr. Jacob Lieberman uh, with his book called, uh, take off your glasses and see, which I thought was rather interesting. Uh, learning a lot about the Bates method of, of vision care and 
uh, started to read his second book, Light Medicine of the Future. And, and I started to read the Bates Method and just was fascinated that the eyes can, in fact, heal if given the right uh, environment. I'm sure certain conditions might require more uh, work, so to speak, or, uh, you know, or, or, yeah, more work or, you know, just, it, it could be a little trickier, I should say. Uh, I still have RP, I'm still legally blind. Uh, but from my visual fields tests from about 20 years ago, when I was first diagnosed versus what my visual fields tests look like right now, there is an improvement for sure. And, uh, you know, I was told that I was going to go fully blind by the time I was 30. So that's not the case. And yeah, you uh, my beat eyes, that, didn't you? Yeah, my eyes have, have gotten better. Like I, I, I'm still technically legally blind and I, uh, the, the night vision is, 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 is a, an issue for me once in a while, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still, I still have the condition and I'm still learning about it and still working on how to conserve what I have and to kind of push the, uh, the needle back in, in the other direction with, uh, with modalities that I'm, that I've found out and that I'm working on. So including things in the world of light, uh, peptides, that's a big, that's kind of how I came across you at uh, discussing a lot of, uh, you know, peptides and, and, uh, visomitin and SKQ1. It's the same thing. Yeah. Retinamylin as well. And uh, a few others, uh, a few of the Russian bioregulator peptides. So, yeah. And uh, you, you found those to be helpful. I'm still using the, the visomitin. I'm still working with the, the retinamylin, including a few other combined peptides to, to help other, because it's not just one thing. There's usually a few systems that tend to be off. There's the, uh, the epitalon peptide I use in conjunction, epitalon with the retinamylin, and there's this uh, uh, nervous system peptide and BPC, I kind of do a, uh, like a 10 day, uh, heavy round of, of, of these peptides every, every so often, every month or two. So it's, it's an experiment and to see what's going on. I'm really just trying to replicate what the, the Russians were doing, uh, with, um, you know, the work of Dr. Cavinson. So, cause there's a lot of talk that, that they have claimed to, beat RP and, and, and put it in its place. So I thought, you know, I'd give it a chance or try to replicate it my own way. Yeah. It's a real misfortune. A lot of those peptides are not going to be available to the, the rest of the world. If things uh, progress the way that they have been the last couple of weeks, I just got notification from my supplier that they can't get uh, visomitin out to anybody for the beyond the borders of uh, Russia for the foreseeable future. So mm. I'm glad that, yeah. Uh, so, so you used uh, the visomitin and some of those peptides and they had a, a measurable effect 
helping you or is it, are you still a little bit uncertain about exactly what those did for you? Well, you know, as a biohacker, I, I'm sure you know that you, you, you sort of do quite a few things and, uh, but that's the, one of the most noticeable differences that I, that I did was working with these peptides and, uh, over the past two years and I, I've checked, I basically got a before and after. So two years ago, before I started this regimen, I did, you know, a visual fields test and to sort of track where I was. And then after that, I ended up, uh, kind of doing this, these peptide regimens and tested a year later. And then a year after that, and both times I've shown an increase in my visual fields, which, uh, that's the main issue with retinitis pigmentosa. So I have documented proof on, on paper that, uh, the visual fields are in fact, uh, expanding. So, so you produced and star in this documentary that I enjoyed watching earlier this week entitled My Neuroplastic Adventure. And I do urge everyone to go and check out that documentary. We're going to have it uh, linked in the show notes for this interview, uh, linked below wherever people are listening or watching us. And because the, yeah, the documentary is very, very well produced and it uh, captures your whole story. It captures the, uh, the journey that you've been through uh, with this struggle um, throughout your life. And yeah, people should go and check that out. It's quite inspiring, especially if it's, if it's anybody that's struggling with eye uh, vision related type of uh, issues. It will give them some hope that is much needed. But as kind of a takeaway, this was kind of my takeaway from the documentary was that was that your finding was that um, what was underlying the potential for improvement with the RP was stimulating neuroplasticity and taking a holistic approach to uh, enhancing your mind's capacity for neuroplasticity. This is, this is kind of the, the important thing that you needed to, uh, to achieve some momentum of improvement with this condition. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's, I usually say this, it's not this or that, it's this and that. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of conditions, whether it be vision-related, autoimmune-related, it can be even linked to uh, early childhood trauma or in utero trauma and even genetic, uh, sorry, uh, ancestral trauma. So you can't get well in the same environment you got sick in. And then once you realize what environment really, really means your inner environment, emotional processing, outer environment, you know, what the area that you live in or uh, sun exposure, EMF exposure, all these things kind of play a, a key factor in, in the basis of a lot of, of, of biology and uh, trauma through, uh, you know, if you were suffered any uh, abuse, most people are, are, you know, traumatized just, just because of the nature of, of, you know, reality and the nature of just 
upbringings and life in general can be quite traumatic. These kind of stay embedded in, in our system if it's not regulated or released through trauma work. Um, you know, for some people, psychedelic therapy can help. Uh, somatic therapy, all these systems can, can have a big on, on helping the coherence of, of the system. So it's, you know, most people think that they just have to work, you know, for, 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 for my sake, just, you know, most people think that they just have to work on that one issue that is, you know, the eyes, for example, but there's, there's an emotional component to most things. And a lot of it's unconscious, you know, Carl Jung often says, uh, until you make the unconscious conscious, it'll direct your life and you'll call it fate. So uh, just this documentary made me realize that th there's more, you know, when I started to lose my vision, it was really hard for me at 21. I, I kind of, I took it pretty hard and, uh, you know, I, I lost my independence. I used to drive and it was just, I went through a major depression. And I think that had to, the, the issue of, of the depression uh, had to sort of get solved in order for me to heal as a whole. So like the, basically this work kind of coincides, the emotional work and the, the internal and the external emotional work really coincide. So it's not just, you know, I, I often meet a lot of biohackers who are just working on, you know, I got to take my vitamins. I got to take my, you know, the eye drops and this and that, but, you know, they're not working on their inner, inner self. And then, you know, kind of in the spiritual community, you kind of see the other way where everyone's just working on their spiritual self and ignoring the other factors. So there's this alignment of, of almost doing both and really connecting to um, the body, mind, and soul and the environment to, to truly heal the self. And your, what you suggest in the film is that the, RP was a combination of uh, nurture and nature, that it was a combination, it, there was a genetic predisposition uh, towards this, and then some trial childhood trauma uh, exacerbated or uh, flipped a particular switch somewhere that uh, resulted ultimately in um, this, uh, what I assume was, yeah, just uh, terrifying uh, diagnosis. And so you have uh, devoted yourself in a holistic way to uh, addressing the, the childhood trauma, the emotional side of things. In the documentary, you uh, even bring your uh, videographer into your uh, therapist's office and you capture a bit of uh, the therapy session that you do. And mm -hmm. so Assuming, uh, assuming the causality between the RP and and trauma, you've have you experienced the the uh, inverse of that effect? That addressing the emotional issues and uh, going into the past and dealing with some of the nastiness in the past that that has made a difference with the. A, a marked acute difference with a physiological condition. Yeah, I, I, I'd say, I'd say it has, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, link to certain vision issues 
to, to trauma. Uh, you know, the body, for example, with, with myopia and presbyopia, like if a trauma happened at a certain distance, the body, and you didn't want to see this trauma, what does it do? It doesn't, it, it manifests into not wanting to see it. So, I mean, th there's different types of vision issues. Some are a little more easier to bring back and, and reverse. Some might be a bit more complicated. Again, this is all just my, my theory and my personal experience. But um, I think that uh, either, I mean, there's a great book where it actually gets into the science of ancestral trauma. It's called It Didn't Start With You by Mark Wolin. And he talks, I'm sure we're all familiar with epigenetics, how the environment controls genes. Uh, so, yep. Yep. so with that, yeah. So with that, say if your ancestors were in a traumatic experience, like a war or something, and uh, that trauma ends up getting embedded in the genes and, you know, for, for some reason or another in, in, in this time in, in you know, my life, where something in the environment ended up, you know, triggering that gene to whatever, stay on or turn on to, to manifest in, in, you know, the condition that I had. So, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of studies showing that rats, if they've been traumatized and then their, their, their kids end up having this, they, they traumatize them with the sound and every time the sound comes, they cower or they do something. And then when they have the kids, the, the kids, yep. the, 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 yeah. So I'm sure you've heard of those studies. So, I mean, the same thing can essentially happen with us, but just probably manifest in different ways. So there's ways to, you know, reset that trauma or to alleviate the trauma in the system through, through different modalities that we're seeing now, again, through uh, somatic therapy, uh, sound therapy and, and, uh, even the nature of like psychedelic therapy too. So uh, I, I've, there, there's a lot of research now on uh, radical remission and the science of spontaneous healing. There's a great book called Cured, the life-changing sciences of, of spontaneous healing, where again, if people end up getting lined up to these, you know, like getting in line of, of, of being in the right inner outer environment that their, their ailment or their, whatever they're dealing with this problem that just disappears. It's, it's, it's obviously more complicated and just, you know, but there's information there. And I just think it goes to show that there's so many potential variables and factors that do need to be in order for one to heal. And I'm sure, you know, right now we are, incredibly disconnected from nature, you know, living indoors all the time on the computer all the time, you know, living in a concrete jungle, uh, in a, you know, in a traumatized world with, with, you know, so, uh, anyway, it's just very interesting books and it kind of gives me hope that it's again, true healing is possible. If, if you can really seek out the right quote unquote environment. And so, you have a you have a stack of things that are that support your biohacking that support your uh, your vision and the red light therapy is pretty high up on that stack, right? 
Yeah. Yeah, very much. So I'm a, I'm a big proponent of, uh, of red light therapy. I got the red light on right now. It's, it's just in the, uh, in the distance, but, uh, I do, uh, I do it up close. I have a red light unit from, from EMR tech. It's a Canadian company. That's the fire wave unit. And I have a bigger unit at home in Canada. It's a bigger panel. I do about, I stand pretty close to it and close my eyelids, but you know, my face is about five to 10 centimeters away. And I kind of swing my head from left to right, pretty close to the unit. So it's giving me uh, near infrared and two spectrums of red in, in the eyes. Essentially sunrise is, is 42% red infrared. So I, I try to get that as much as I can. So yeah, red light therapy has is, is been a, a major hack uh, in my overall wellness, including my eye health. I mean, there's incredible data showing that the uh, red light near infrared spectrum can do wonders for eyesight. Most conditions, all conditions, not to mention collagen synthesis in the skin, uh, mitochondrial boosters. And uh, mm -hmm. I mentioned uh, sunrise is pretty much 42% red and infrared. So it's a big, powerful booster. So I, I try to get as much uh, red light therapy in the morning as I can, full body exposure. It's really great for uh, testosterone if sh shined on the, on the testicles and for women, uh, for estrogen synthesis or just general overall hormonal health. So there's just incredible data with that. So it's uh, so like, why not? Uh, like that's one of my big hacks is, is, uh, red light therapy. And do you find when you go and watch the sunrise that it, um, that it really normalizes your circadian rhythm? Absolutely. It's a, a big part of, of a lot of people's health disruptions, I think is dysregulated, uh, circadian rhythm. Again, right now with, with technology and, and modern lighting. So, for example, you wake up first thing in the morning and you check your phone. Your phone's on full bright blue. You're tricking your eye clock into thinking that it's like noon in, in Ecuador because that color temperature and that the lux of your phone just tricks your system and it stresses out your system. I mean, our ancestors did not have that. The only light signals our ancestors had for thousands and thousands of years was sunrise and fire. What color is fire? Fire is an orange and red. And the orange and red do not disrupt the, uh, the, uh, the eye clock into thinking that it's, uh, you know, daytime when it's not. So, you know, modern lighting like the compact fluorescents have a horrendous flicker. It's the wrong color temperature. Uh, LEDs is a very, very bright blue unbalanced with no red. So, a lot of the indoor spectrums that we're missing are in the range of the reds and, and the purples, purples being, you know, UVA, UVB. Um, so, but the red, the red should always kind of be in, especially if you're indoors, should always kind of have a, a red to, to balance out the, the spectrum of light. So, you know, there's that disconnection from your circadian clock. It's the same, same thing for, when you're going to bed, when the sun is down, you should not be looking at any type of blue uh, light from your phone, from your TV. So, you know, the, there's uh, I, the, ideally, the whole ideally, I, I've never been able to 
manage that. I've never been able myself to manage avoiding uh, glowing screens entirely after dark. Yeah, well, I mean, there, there's tricks and all with uh, Iris software, which works really great. And uh, there's blue blocking glasses. And it's not to say that blue light is bad. You know, you, your body needs blue light during the day and sun to, to, to wake up and for, for dopamine creation, etc. So it's just all about timing with light. So, I mean, it, it's shown to, if you're looking at blue light uh, during when, when you're not supposed to, it's a major stressor on the body. So, um, you know, I, I'd highly suggest getting your circadian clock in tune uh, with avoiding the light or like I said, using those tricks like wearing blue blocking glasses or, you know, uh, I, I use a lot of red lights at night. I switch the bulbs. I almost have a night mode for my house. And there's some great software out there like Flux and Iris that you can switch it to different modes where it takes some of the blue out or even all of the blue. There's a biohacker mode. So I, you know, we have these tools at our disposal and it's a, it's a quick, free, easy hack that can have mass implications on, on, on your health to, to, to kind of keep you healthy. Because I, I know circadian disruption can lead to uh, weight gain, diabetes, and all of this. There's, there's a lot of data showing that it's quite harmful. So... Yeah, I'd recommend Iris. I, I've tried Flux. I'd recommend Iris highest to people. And I'll have that mm -hmm. linked in the show notes. And yeah, just to reiterate what you're saying, I would urge people that if you if if you are looking for any justification for taking a vacation to someplace with a beach. I will, when I typically do a summertime, uh, I do a week or two at the seaside here in Bulgaria, and I will make it a point to, in the morning time, go down around oh, 6, 6, 6 a.m. typically. Yeah, it usually ends up being around 6 a.m. if it's in the summer, and go and watch the sunrise and do some meditation down there and, you know, go and go and walk in the, in the, uh, the, the water as it comes in a bit, which is of course, totally serene. Um, and my finding doing that is actually that my, when I get my circadian rhythm normalized with the rising sun that way, that I stay on that cycle for like, for like a couple of uh, months afterwards, actually, like during the winter time, uh, I'll find that I'm, well, I don't use like an alarm clock or anything like that, but I'm, I, I'm, I'm finding that I'm like waking up a little bit later in the morning and then typically going to sleep a little bit later in the evening where, so I'm thinking that if I can, uh, if I could maybe do like a trip to the beach maybe early in the season, like, like heck, maybe in May, I'll, I'll do a week at the seaside and then I can get up early and get my circadian rhythm normalized with the rising 
sun. And then I can go and do the same thing again in like early September here. And I'll actually keep my, yeah, I'll actually keep my circadian rhythm like pretty in line with the rising and the setting of the sun in my geographic little corner of the world. Yeah, it, it's, it's very important to do that. I, there's a lot of links to health disruptions once your circadian rhythm is, is out of sorts. I mean, seasonal affective disorder for a lot of people is, is, is most definitely a light issue, uh, missing the reds and, uh, and purples. Uh, most people aren't going outside because it's too cold and, you know, the, the degree of the sun just depends where you are. It's a, it's a huge difference. And I think if you, if you kind of get in tune to that and, and really make an effort, and especially with the phone in the morning too, like there's ways that you can hack your phone too, to have a complete, um, turn it on now. Let's see. Or you can have it look like a full red screen like this yep uh, right on um what's an iphone little trick that you can do oh, this is the night shift mode but i think a night shift mode still is giving out some blues but um yeah it's very very important i mean these are all free things that you can do you know uh, you know without going into the bigger stuff that we were talking about before like peptides and eye drops and um and all those other things so just uh get your circadian rhythm in tune and because uh, it's an important part, because I think the morning sun actually delivers all this information through your eyes. It turns on all these systems via the supercosmetic nucleus. It kind of tells you to make you know, melatonin for later and uh, serotonin, dopamine, etc. All these things are created uh, with, with these morning light light signals. So. Um, there's a great documentary too, just showing the power of being overexposed to, to wrong light frequencies. Uh, there's a, there's a book and a doc. The doc is available on YouTube. It was a bit hard to find. It came out in the, in the late seventies, I think it was by Dr. John Ott called exploring the spectrum. Okay. And it shows the power of light frequencies on the growth of plants. This guy used to work for Disney. He was the grandfather of time-lapse photography, where he, he was working on one of those movies, I don't know if it was Fantasia or something, and he, he wanted to help the animators uh, create like this, these flowers going from growth to, to bloom under these controlled environments and a pumpkin yeah. patch, like creating all this under indoor lighting. And he had to like really find a way to control the, the color temperatures and light cycles throughout a shortened period of time to actually accelerate the growth of these plants and have them flower and bloom. So the first half is on plants and then the second half is on animals. So he shows what mice happened to mice being exposed to uh, like pink fluorescent bulbs, which end up creating these tumors on them. And uh, he even showed uh, certain light frequencies uh, like having these, mouse exude like ADD fidgety symptoms. So it's a, it's a, there's a lot of like time-lapse fast forward motion of showing these, what these animals look like. And I, I don't think he could have got away with it now, but he even does these experiments in, in classrooms with, with these kids where they change the overhead lights 
to oh, you know to, to full spectrum lighting which was which they went beautifully versus these higher greens and less reds and again it shows these kids like in fast forward like really acting unsettled and kind of like jittery and moving around and again highly it, there's a book too with the same title health and light by dr john Ott, but the documentary is is on youtube and it's called exploring the spectrum and it's it's again shows the power of, of of light and color fascinating film so highly recommend that for for your listeners to check out and yourself yeah too if you i'll, I'll make i'll make sure to have that linked and so you have done uh experimentation with like multiple pmf devices right i have yeah yeah in my documentary i used uh a Sequix machine. It's a it's a expensive machine out of Italy, and uh, it's a pad uh, that you kind of lay on, and you kind of tune in which 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 pulse electromagnetic field frequency you you want or you need. And um, and now since since we're living in in this you know modern world full of electromagnetic fields, like you know Wi-Fi routers everywhere, Bluetooth, uh, smart meters cell phone towers, 3G, 4G, 5G. I mean, yeah, this shows a trillion, a trillion fold increase over historical levels of EMFs that our ancestors were encountering. Yeah, yeah. And this has never before been, and you know, like we think it's a non-issue because there's no direct harm. It's not like you touch a, a hot stove and you get burned. I mean, this has a... I, this has an effect on, on your blood. And in my film, we kind of go into that showing with a live blood analysis, showing what the, the blood can look like over with an overexposed EMF, overexposed, harmful EMF. I mean, there's, there's, there's non-native EMF and then there's native EMF. So the, the earth has a Schumann resonance, which is a type of EMF. The sun kind of gives off an EMF. But, you know, these, these man-made EMF frequencies, I think, are, are quite harmful. And we don't... we we know that they're harmful, but then now we're getting into like big industry, big tech, you know, trying to roll out, you know, the faster, newer phone and faster internet. And, you know, what are the biological consequences? Yeah, aren't you excited this? about 7G? It's, it's going to be great, man. <laughs> How fast do you need to see a movie? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, you know, where, you know, we can talk about all this you know what's going to happen with you know the internet of things where everything's connected and everything's being monitored and tracked and you know like when when does it stop and and uh you know some people like technology i mean i i like technology i love my phone i mean it's super duper handy for for maps and gps and things but uh it's also nice to take a nice break from your phone too but uh i think this you know there's a great documentary called generation zapped which talks a lot about the uh, harm of overexposing, you know, people, kids with, uh, you know, the, their classrooms just full of, of uh, Wi-Fi routers and, you know, the rise of ADD and, uh, and even now the rise of um, uh, infertility rates because, again, people carrying their cell phone in their pockets and, you know, these all have harm. And, uh, again... You know, going blind really taught me just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not there. It doesn't mean it's not giving you any harm. I think that's the problem with it. People think a light is a light. A light is on or off. 
It doesn't matter what color temperature it is, or if it's has this flicker that we can't see that has a biological effect. It's the same thing with, with, uh, with the cell phones and, and the Wi-Fi, and we can't see it, but it, it's, it, it's having a, a harm. I mean, you talk to most people that you know, what, what's one of the major things that they complain about? So like sleep issues. Oh, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. I'm oh, yeah, yeah. Issues. Super common. Right. So the, or, the or two people, major people things. Stay that I, up, people stay up too late just, just binging the boundless media at our fingertips. Right. And, you know, like it, if you could hear the sound of your Wi-Fi router, like being on all night, and if you're sleeping, why is your why is your why do you need to be exposed to that radiation at night? But like I, I compare a Wi-Fi router or your cell phone signal to like a dog whistle. Like you can't hear it, but your biology is hearing it loud and clear. And if you if you've ever used like an EMF meter and to see what it, to make an audible sound to what what signal you're surrounding, it's you know, your, your body is like screaming for like a break from all these signals. So they have a detrimental effect. And I, I, you know, just the way the cigarette industry took 40 years to probably see how the cigarettes cause cancer. I think we're going to see that with, uh, with the, you know, the cell phone industry. I mean, we all heard, Oh, the cell phones give you cancer. Like, you know, I don't know. People still. It, it, it was a conspiracy like, theory until until <laughs> until you get cancer. <laughs> it's just a crazy conspiracy theory until it comes home to uh, harm harm people. Right, and I'm not, and I'm not saying don't use tech. I mean, I, I use tech. I have a cell phone, and but you know, do you need to sleep with your cell phone on beside your head because at night it's still sending and receiving signals? Like, put it on airplane mode or put it at the other side of. Uh, you know, on the, on the wardrobe or something. Now, now when you, when, when you travel, I imagine where, where, where you live in your home there in Toronto, you've probably got like everything almost perfectly optimized as a uh, optimal uh, human environment, like without Wi-Fi. But when you're, yeah, when you're traveling, inevitably, you're going to be dealing with Wi-Fi, you're going to be dealing with an abundance of dirty electricity, especially in some countries. So do you uh, note a marked difference between being in a more pristine environment and being in a uh, EMF-rich environment? Well, it really depends what you're doing. And I think a lot of these things you might have access to, like some places you can. Like here, this Airbnb that I've been staying at, uh, there's a TV in front of my bed, which I unplug because it has this light that just shines. And underneath it is the Wi-Fi router. So I unplug it at night. What I wanted to ask you about with PMF is, have you used a smaller PMF device? Have you, have you had any good results using, using some of these more consumer grade devices i haven't i haven't tried them i'm not too familiar with them uh, i don't own any pmf i've just used um uh the sequex machine and that other one from pulse centers uh, but i don't I, i'd like to learn about them it's something that i want to invest in but haven't uh invested in any pmf gadgets personally yet but i've used the technology for sure okay i don't know if I, you can share, share about it 
Yeah, I'm yet in the middle of my evaluation of this um, infopathy one, which is, so you have used really the high end of PMF, and this is the low end. I think this thing is like $170, $180, something like that. And Mm -hmm. it does have some, it does have a couple of frequencies for vision, that I have used and I, I, I can't report that they've made a big difference on my vision yet. What they, what they have done is there's a, there's a particular, there were some frequencies that were good for uh, what they called fascia pain. And I would mm-hmm. administer at the end of a long day, I would often have kind of strained eyes because I probably put in too much time on the computer. Mm-hmm. And so I'd have kind of these strained eyes. And the, the very best thing for this was visomitin. Back when I had some visomitin on hand, I would just do, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd do some of those eye drops and that would totally take care of the strained eyes. In, fi- in fact, visomitin is kind of a enabler of uh, workaholism because you can you can you can work like 14 hours on the computer with it um bereft of the visomitin i would use a fascia pain frequency with my with this thing it's called the ic hummer and i would actually notice that it would do a pretty good job of clearing up my strained vision at the end of a long day so that's kind of that's kind of cool, but I guess I would have to do something where I, I guess I would have to do something where I was quantifying my eyesight a little bit more and then do some experiments with this PMF device and see what sort of difference it was making. And then I would have to figure out a way to, um, to isolate the to isolate it as an intervention some. So I've got, mm-hmm. yeah, I've got a little ways to go on that. I know for the time being, I kind of like the fact that it relieves the eye strain though. What other, uh, there is this other, I think it was a PMF technology, Dr. Jerry Tennant. Are you familiar with him at all? He wrote this no. book called Healing is Voltage. Um, and uh, he had a type of PMF machine as well. Um, I, I still like learning about him, but he pretty interesting fellow. Um, and yeah, I think that really, he basically says that in order, the cells have to have a certain voltage in order for them to do its thing. And if it's a tired cell, it's really tough to get that voltage up. So I think the PMF kind of does that. And I think certain kind of stem cell therapy now from what I'm learning can essentially kind of do the same thing, which is kind of the next level of where I want to kind of get into of like stem cell technology. Uh, but, uh, PMF, you know, PMF is, 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 can be very beneficial or can be very harmful in the sense, like come from a phone. I mean, so this technology is very real and very powerful, good or bad, so, but, uh, that's an interesting device you got there. I'd be curious to, to try it out. I'm always, uh, interested in trying out new things. So very, very cool. 
Yeah, sure. I'll have it linked below this uh, below this episode, and I'll continue to experiment with it, and I'll put out some sort of uh, some sort of video with my conclusions that I've reached on it. As we're getting towards our conclusion here, I wanted to circle back a bit to the point that you were well making in the making in your documentary about the connection between the trauma and between chronic health conditions. And I, I have to admit that this is an area that I haven't personally explored very much. I, I have uh, famously bad, bad eyes. I'm uh, quite cross-eyed as everyone knows who follows my video blogs, but I can't, I, I can't identify any um, trauma from my early past that might have something to something to do with that. I, I sometimes joke with my with my wife uh, that we, we talk about uh, we talk about trauma because it's you know it's it's a, uh, a something I think that is uh, it is something the world is really waking up to. Mm-hmm. And I'll sometimes joke that. I think I might be the one person that doesn't have uh, like childhood trauma because I, I can't, I, I had a pretty decent child, not perfect, but a pretty decent one. Um, and I think that my vision issues are primarily due to uh, a bit of genetic bad luck and then just having a job for, well, well over 10 years now where I was dealing with computers all day long and computers being bad for being bad for vision. But I'm wondering if if I might go about doing some exploration to see if there is some trauma that has something to do with my crappy eyes. Well, uh, in terms of book recommendations, I, I, I'd highly recommend reading or listening to whatever, if you have Audible or any other. uh, Take Off Your Glasses and See by Dr. Jacob Lieberman. He actually gets into a lot of like how things can be related to trauma. Um, The other one I said before is it didn't start with you as well. So uh, the thing with trauma is something can be a big T trauma or a little T trauma. So a big T trauma is like, you know, you witnessed your friend you know, die in Vietnam or something. And little T trauma is like, you know, your, your, your mother was like always working, but you know, you were, you had a, they cared for you, but you know, they weren't, they weren't there. So trauma can be, it doesn't have to be a major trauma. I mean, the, 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 the body, unfortunately can be quite sensitive. And the other thing with, with trauma is that it might not have even been in your time. It could have been in, in vitro when you were in the womb. And mm. it, 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 it can be, in fact, uh, ancestral, which I think ancestral can be tied to genetic. So it's something that you consciously might not uh, know what happened to you, but it's there in the system. You know, the, the unconscious mind runs about 95% of the show and the conscious mind, which is how you know, you and I are, are talking and, and being sort of here now is, is conscious. So there's so much going on. And if you start like, you know, that, that, that book, it didn't start with you kind of really goes into, there's a lot of 
case details showing that you can, through this type of exploration, realize through your, he calls it the core language, can kind of tell you of, of what happened, uh, what may have happened in the past that may have triggered these genes on or off, etc. So uh, I think it's something worth, uh, worth exploring. So really fascinating. Um, but highly recommend checking out that book. There's a few podcasts that he's been on, and so you can kind of get a primer on on him. His name is uh, Mark Wolin, uh, very interesting fellow. And, and like I said, the work of Dr. Jacob Lieberman, I always recommend, uh, again, talks about how trauma is related to, to vision issues and to how light is. So very fascinating stuff. Okay, something that I saw in your documentary that I think I tried it for the first time just this week was the, the palming. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So people, if they're just listening to the podcast, what I'm doing basically is I am taking the palms of my hands and I am just holding them over my, I'm putting them into my eye sockets lightly so that I'm applying uh, ever so subtle uh, pressure to my eyes themselves. And this is something that you do is it's something that you do like every day and you think it's helped you. Well, you know, a lot of the times when you're kind of working throughout the day, you don't realize that you're, uh, you're clenching your jaw. You know, or you have to take a step back, like, oh wow, I'm like, I'm, I didn't realize how tense I was. The same thing happens with with the eyes. The eyes, like, we're in this hyper focus mode. So the eyes are under this constant strain with the muscles, and they never really, really get a break. So that palming exercise is essentially holding them, holding the eyes, and giving them a rest. And it, it's quite uh, regenerative and for the eyesight. It's a it's a big, a lot of vision issues come from unconscious and conscious eye strain. Again, you're straining on the computer. And so basically, if you're straining the eyes, the muscle ends up squeezing the shape of the eye. And if you're squeezing the shape of the eye and it lasts over a longer period of time, if you change the, the shape of the eye, you change the refraction. Thus, you need to wear glasses to, to compensate for the almost unconscious, uh, like, changing of the of the eye shape so uh again a lot of that's outlined and and, and the bates methods work and um and you know uh, i think lieberman really kind of updated bates's work and kind of shared a lot of the practices in in those in those books that he has too so hey, those books are, I, were, i've were heard big game of game. the bates method several times now but i'm not that familiar with it can you synopsize Sure. So the Bates method was developed over a hundred years ago, uh, basically to, to, to show and to, to, to tell people that the, that the eyes can, can heal, uh, through these, through sunning techniques, through palming, through these other types of, uh, vision exercises. And, um, there's, uh, yeah, you know, there, there's a lot of good data showing that they work. He was very anti-glasses. I think a lot of the times when in, in modern optometry, I think they're doing a big disservice to the eye because the way that a lot of the lenses are designed are almost to keep you 
you know, how, again, how often do you hear like, oh, I got glasses and my eyes got better. <laughs> Never. You, you hardly hear that, but like, I, I, he, he thought, I mean, this was a bit earlier than the big pharma wasn't around, but he really thought that modern optometry was, was almost acting like the way big pharma acts now to like essentially keep you hooked as a client to like want glasses because there, there are such a thing as a holistic optometrist and they can, can prescribe glasses. If you do wear glasses to, to have a certain prescription where there's not much of a stigmatism compensation. So it actually gives your chance for the eyes to move around and, and reduce the strain because eye strain is probably one of the, the bigger, the biggest issues leading to vision issues. So if you can really understand that you are straining your eyes, then the eyes can heal. Again, the palming technique works wonders. Red light therapy works as well. But I think reading about the, 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 the complexity and what's involved in these systems can really kind of give you this long view, bigger picture and how, you know, we see with the brain, not with the eyes and, and how there's these subtleties that are going on with, with the eye systems that, that if you're aware of them, you can make these slight tweaks into, in terms of uh, helping your vision out. So these books were big game changers and highly recommend. There was a podcast I listened to a while back and there was, there was some guy and his assertion was similar to that, was that he thought that optometry was a big scam. He thought it was uh, like as bad as uh, modern day pharmaceuticals that the uh, glasses and the contact lenses they give you are that they keep your vision in a state of arrested development that they that they are preventing uh, the actual mm -hmm. healing from the from the eyes which it, and uh, part of me found that kind of like hard to believe but on the other but but part of me that also kind of satisfied this curiosity that I, that I had when I was a uh, boy from the, from the youngest age, I, you know, you're, you're like a kid going to school. Okay. And you notice that it's like, it's like, it seems like it's about 50% of the other kids that you go to school with, they need uh, glasses or contact lenses or something like that. Right. To see. And so mm -hmm. as a kid, I, I always thought, I was like, what, what was it like what history, history must have been like ridiculous. Cause I'm like, okay, if 50%, if 50% if 50 of people need eyeglasses or contact lenses to see, to mm -hmm. function in the world, like how the, how the hell did history work before we had eyeglasses? Was it, was it just like 50% of people were just like, uh, we're just like, I don't know, tripping over things in the streets mm -hmm. and, and not able to do anything at all because they didn't have the, uh, the innovation of, of, of modern eyeglasses. But um, I, I'm going to look into these books. I'm going to look into these books. It's something that uh, admittedly I have not explored deeply before, but yet it, it, I, I, it, I, I still I wonder how people got by before the invention of these things. I, I guarantee that a lot of vision issues were as a result of, of the, of the factory school model. So most kids are going, getting up, going in a classroom first thing in the morning. The other thing is if you're always looking 
at at a at a distance of your your you know like a, a half a meter or you know arms length in front of you the eyes need to see things far away to 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 adjust those muscles but if you're indoors under junk lighting for you know from from junior kindergarten to grade 8 every morning always indoors that's going to exacerbate and you're only looking at you know from from your desk to to a chalkboard that's going to exacerbate vision issues because the eyes need outdoor light to 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 get well and now you know you see like uv blocking glasses i i stopped wearing sunglasses i used to be the sunglasses king of having so many pairs but you know to 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 connect again to my circadian biology i ditched the sunglasses i block artificial light and don't block natural light but i i really think that a lot of that stemmed from like an indoor environment not not all cases but i think the majority of it is it's a, like vision issues are a modern uh you know probably accelerated in the past 100 years as soon as we started moving indoors that's just sure, a theory yeah. i have but you know yeah 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 that makes sense cuz i yeah as a kid I, I would uh i don't know i'd read books about like rome and i was like how how did they build rome and build all this amazing stuff if like half the people couldn't see the way that half the people now can't see without without modern optometry and of of course right. you you probably read about that it's probably the it's probably uh, the vision issues are a, are a disease of modernity although in in conclusion i'll make i'll make a final kind of point in regards to mindset is even with all of the toxicity of modernity and even with all of these invisible um dangers of modernity, things like EMFs and Wi-Fi, even with all of that, I, I would still rather live in modernity. I would still have rather been born when I was born because we are, we, at this point, we have the opportunity to kind of, we, we, we're at this really kind of unique uh, juncture in history where we have so much information that's available to us. We have no previous generation had anywhere near the information available to them that we do. And we are kind of belong to this uh, really almost kind of like the first generation of uh, people that could create a world that's a bit more sane, where we can, where we can, we, we have the enough information to discern what were the things from the past that made sense, which is uh, things like uh, things like grounding, things like eating organic food. Um, and we can discern the things that made sense from the past from the uh, rank, destructive, toxic dogmatism of the past, and that we can um, and that we can intentionally create a kind of future where maybe we won't have so much um, ancestral trauma that is um, this blind photocopier of history that is uh, that is you know creating more perpetuating human suffering for another 10 12 generations of uh, people muddling by on this planet and it's and it's it's a really special time that we live in and I don't think it's going to I, I don't think a special time like this is going to you know occur again 
in the future. So if people, if people ever get, uh, if people are ever feeling down, you know, there's kind of, um, I don't know, there's a, there, there's this phrase people say, which is like doomers, like that the, they say like, uh, you know, there's the baby boomer generation. I don't know, there's mm -hmm. Gen X, Gen Y, millennials. Um, and then maybe we're going to have like a doomer generate. I don't think that's any kind of, uh, I think that's a mimetic classification the internet has come up with, but I would urge people not to, not to be doomers, that there's actually, uh, th that we have a unique position, a unique amount of, of agency to create, uh, to create a world that is more healthy and more sane. Um, but it just, yeah, it comes down to people individually having a pushing themselves to uh, higher standards and imposing a higher level of discipline on all of ourselves individually. And that's how we can get to a, uh, a brilliant future that is uh, perhaps something a little bit more like, more like Star Trek. So I would, yeah, I would just, uh, I, I'm not a person at all that thinks like, oh, I, I wish I lived in the year like 1900, like, living in the year, or maybe if I lived in the year 1850, and, you know, then I could have just had a, then I could have just had, you know, I could have had had a, a couple of cows, and they would have been the most organic cows ever. And, and I would have had no Wi-Fi, I would have just been reading next to a next to a candle at night, it would have been would have been so much better. I, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I think now is the best. And we can make the future even better. Yeah, I agree. You know, we 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 have so much uh, knowledge and you know wisdom. We just need to apply it. I think in the right direction. It's a great time to be alive. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I would urge people that are listening, people that are knowledgeable kind of people, to uh, be assertive. Be um, if you're the kind of person that takes a little bit more philosophical view on the world. Be more assertive than the dogmatic people that you're dealing with, because this is this is a a competitive kind of thing. And if we want uh, if we want a future that makes a little bit more sense, where uh, the way that society works, the way that science works, the way that capitalism works, the way that technology works, um, if we want these things serving uh, human flourishing a little bit more. Um, in the present, we need to be assertive with the um, dogmatists that are that are kind of holding that back. And the, the people out there are going to have to figure out what that means for themselves individually. So uh, as a couple of calls to action, I'm going to direct people to go and check out your film because it was an engaging, well-made film. And it's over the, you, th you think iTunes is probably the best place for most people to get it yeah i can send you the uh the itunes link the direct link um uh, fantastic i know it was, Please on, do. I know do it was a, on amazon a, sorry come again do you got a trailer for it on youtube yeah 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 it's on youtube and vimeo I'll, i can send that to you too okay and, uh, yeah Right on. If you just Have type you... My, my neuroplastic adventure teaser, it should come up. Okay. Okay. Great. I but will I'll give be, you the link. I will be linking to that. And then are you doing another vision optimization summit this year? Uh, I'm hoping to 
get that off the ground. I actually uh, uh, worked on it and the website got hacked and, and lost a lot of things before I even got oh, it off no. the ground. I still have the videos. So I'm just in process of, 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 uh, of launching it. So we had 11, 11 speakers, including Dr. Jacob Lieberman. Uh, we talk about uh, a few other doctors and natural vision uh, educators as well. So I'm still in the process of, of getting that up and going. I had a, I had a hiccup with uh, just the, the website being hacked for some reason and just disappeared and had to rebuild. So, so it didn't happen yet, uh, but uh, the, the video and information is still, I have it and, and hoping to get that off uh, very soon. Okay, well, do let us know if you do another one of those. If you did, if you did a, another event, would it be a live event at like a conference room or something like that, or would you do it as a digital summit? Well, I did. I did a digital just due to the circumstances of the past two years, but uh, it's possible. I mean, I'd have to look into the logistics of of, uh, of of planning a live event, which I haven't done in a while. But that'd be pretty interesting. It's, it's most definitely possible. I definitely would need some help in a team, so I'd have to build a little team to get that going. Hey, so. I'll run an idea past you. Maybe you'll love this idea, or maybe you'll hate it. I don't know. I was seeing there's an advent of uh, VR conferences where people are using, people are uh, going into like Decentraland or these different VR multiplayer worlds. And you, uh, apparently you rent out a space in this multiplayer world and then people go in there and they, it, it seems a bit more, that, that seems a bit more engaging to me than the, um, than these virtual summits, which are basically kind of just uh, live streams. Videos. With, with, yeah, with a, yeah. like, like to me, I, well, I, the virtual summits, I think maybe I went to one of them uh, in the past mm -hmm. two years and it was, yeah, it was totally lame. It was like, it was the same to me as a, uh, as a YouTube live stream, but I've, I've heard of these virtual uh, VR world summits where yeah you have like a speed you know you have everyone who's their little avatars everyone's their a character in this virtual world standing in a crowd and then you've got like a person on stage who's presenting their material and if you want your character can go and wander around the conference hall and chit chat with other with other people so it's actually kind of similar to a real world summit and i'm like you know that actually sounds kind of interesting that i would like that i would potentially um attend whereas yeah like a virtual summit with uh with just live a live stream presentation um i'm like i, I will catch i'll catch the the replay of that at uh yeah, 1.5 yeah. speed yeah yeah i hear you it's all about engagement i think and i think that could be a good idea i mean i prefer real life most definitely i don't have a, a vr set and maybe for an eye conference the vr set might not be optimal just because of potential you know <laughs> trying to show the naturalization of being in an actual environment. But uh, who knows? That's a good idea, though. I haven't thought of that one. Self-optimized, I'm not, I haven't been using that one anymore. I did switch to uh, blindbiohacker.com and, uh, and the, the visionoptimizationsummit.com right now. But uh, I'm, I'm still in the process of fixing the hacked uh, part of it thing. So 
technology. Gotta love it. Yeah. So, okay. So the, so the health coaching is that's your, that's your job more or less, right? I do quite a few things. I, like I work in documentary. Uh, I work uh, as an advisor for a uh, startup company as well. So I do ad- advising on, on things in the, in the health and wellness space. Okay. So that's, uh, and, and I do, people do ask me questions. I, I haven't been coaching as much because I've been busy with the other things, but once in a while people want my help and I help them out. Okay. I'm imagining that given that you've made yourself so visible in regards to RP, you probably have people that contact you uh, probably with some frequency that have just been diagnosed with this and they're, you know, heartbroken and they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're in the midst of the, probably the challenge of their lives. And they come to you for some guidance. And I'm curious if you've had, perhaps there'll even be people listening to this that are struggling with it. And I'm wondering if you have any like case studies of, um, of, of a process that you put people through or if there's any generalizations that you can make about low hanging fruit for anyone that's struggling with RP? Uh, well, I take a, like a systems approach to a lot of things, you know, like what I did for myself, it's, you know, people often suggest like, oh, is there one thing I can use to, to, to fix this? But I think, you know, there, there's so many factors of labs to, to sort of get to see, you know, how like thyroid is functioning and how the sleep is. And so it's, it's usually, uh, you know, it's not like I just say, hey, use these eye drops and call me tomorrow sort of thing. So it's, it's, yeah, it, it, it's a big, it's a bigger systems approach. So it's, it's hard to just be like, oh, just do this and it'll be fine. So every case is different. Like I said, there's also trauma, there could be trauma elements to it that people need to address. And, you know, so it's, it's not a, a quick fix, easy, easy thing. And I think all cells function similarly. So you know, what could be applied for RP could also work for other things as well. So, but again, I'm learning as well. And, and every case is different. Every body's different. So it's hard to say that there's one thing that'll, that'll work. So it's just, you just get to need to know the person and, you know, what they've been through and what's kind of going on in their life and what environment they're in. So. Sure. Well, I will just suggest that people get in touch with you via Instagram if they want to if, if they want to engage with you or uh, ask you questions, compare notes in regards to their uh, neuroplasticity hacking. Yeah, that's that's uh, one of the best ways to get to get a hold of me is is through my Instagram at Blind Biohacker. Um, yeah, yeah, that's one of the best ways. Okay, great. And I will also suggest to people listening to this to leave a comment, or you could even contact either of us personally. Uh, You can contact me 
pretty much anywhere on social media. Um, but a comment might be better as, and, and let us know what sorts of uh, vision biohacks you have experimented with. And I'm always, yeah, I'm always curious about trying new things in that particular department. I'm Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, looking forward to a continued conversation with you.